Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Iscove. And with us today is Alex Amin and Haley Wairengo. Alex is a talent agent at UTA. Haley is a film and TV producer. We're going to be talking about an episode whose title I will absolutely butcher because I don't know French. Do you guys know French? Can you, can you say it for us? Sure. Well, we're also friends. That's what you missed from our introduction. I mean, obviously, we're friends. Um, uh, the title is La Douleur Exquise. Perfect. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is episode 212 uh, of season two. But before we get to this episode, I want to talk about how Carrie and Co. came into your lives. Um, Did you guys watch this show in 99? And if not, when did you watch it? And did it have a formative effect on you as young women? Alex? I, uh, it was like bootleg uh, in 99, I was a senior, I'm sorry, I was a freshman in high school and, uh, I did not have HBO because it was expensive, but I, one of my friends did. And one might argue that I was friends with her because she had HBO. Um, and, uh, she would record it on a VHS and bring it she would maybe record a couple episodes on one VHS. So I would get like two or three or four episodes. And like once a month, she would give me a VHS and I would go home, watch it and then bring it back to her. And she would re-record the next few on, you know, 
Um, so I did watch it in real time, uh, but missed the first season because of that. It wasn't until mm-hmm. the second season that I started watching. And then after the show, or maybe somewhere before the last few episodes or the last few seasons, I went back and caught up on anything that I had missed. So it was sort of like contraband for you, is what uh, you're saying. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Haley, what about you? Um, in '99, no. In '99, I was in eighth grade, um, and in living in Chicago, and we did not have HBO um, because it was expensive, um, and I don't know, we didn't. But two years later, in 2001, we uh-huh. moved to Michigan. And one of the many, many sort of sweeten the deal effects to, of moving from Chicago to a small, smaller town in Michigan, um, one of which was getting a dog and the other which was that we suddenly had all the channels, um, which was not something that was actually like presented to us as a perk, sure, but sure. it's what happened. Um, and um, that's when I started watching it. Um, so yeah, so like... Alex, I think I missed the first year or two, but then would also see reruns um, on each show, kind of got caught up. But you're both sort of close to the same age Mm -hmm. when it comes into your life, to a certain degree, Mm -hmm. it feels like. And I mean, I I posited this question to, to other guests, but I'm obviously very interested to hear about your experiences. Did it, did you feel like it shaped your dating experiences or the way that you sort of went into like the way you thought of men, quite frankly, because this show was groundbreaking in many ways. And one of them being obviously that it was empowering to women and that, and that it was from their perspective and that the men were, I don't want to say disposable, but they were a little disposable in the first couple seasons. I mean, until these relationships started to really take root in, in the characters, it felt that way. Um, did that in any way sort of change your, your perception of men or, or how you went into, you know, dating? I would say maybe less men and more like, yeah, the idea of sex, adult relationships and dating or like what a version of that, albeit like filtered through like Hollywood or whatever, um, might look like. Um, And I think in a way there was a, a really great thing about making things, it's just like normalizing and sort of like de, um, like taking mystifying to, yeah, and t- and, yeah and taking the taboo away from from that stuff especially like I went to a catholic school when we lived in Chicago so um you know it just like it, it just kind of blew the door open on all of that stuff well I, I also crazy. feel like um there's there's the friends effect too right I mean friends is in its heyday at this moment so you really have two drastically dissimilar first of all one is actually in New York. And the other is the Warner Brothers sound stages in Burbank. <laughs> um, and, and I think that that, you know, in so many ways kind of crystallizes how these two shows, you know, one was a fantasy. One was, you know, they're living in this giant apartment in New York City. And, um, you know, it's this, this very idyllic perspective of they're, they're younger as well. It should be said that the characters on Friends are supposed to be younger than the characters on Sex and the City. So I understand there's a maturity difference, but I just mean sort of, you know, I, I was never a teenage girl. I was never a woman in my 20s. I never sort of obviously saw things through that lens. And I'm just sort of wondering how these two shows or how just television in general and how Sex and City fit into that. Alex, did it 
change sort of the way that you, I mean, we talked a little bit about this on Felicity too, right. you know what I mean? In terms of like the college experience too. I'm going to reference going back to the episode that we talked about Felicity where, you know, television was my foray into uh, the obsession with living in New York, which I did end up then going to NYU sure. for college. And, you know, it's funny that you say, Friends sort of being the fantasy version of New York because Sex and the City is such a fantasy. Totally. They are (laughs) so rich. They're so thin. Their hair is perfect all the time. The clothes, their apartments. I'm like, Carrie's apartment is incredible. You know, even if it's small, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. They're going out to dinner all the time, (laughs) all the time. I'm like, how do you afford this life? Uh, And that's what I, you know, um, in terms of like informing my perception of dating and adult relationships and living in New York, which was, you know, as a teenager in the Valley in 1999, you know, adulthood and sexual liberation and maturity also was synonymous with like living in New York. That just was like, Mm -hmm. that was it. Um, It all, you know, that was, that was the pinnacle. That was what you wanted to strive for. It was like, well, I want to be, I want to live in New York. If that means, and I want to be as cool as these ladies and I want to have like, you know, obviously we hadn't dated really yet. Dating wasn't right. really a thing. I think you, there were touch points where, you know, at that point, I think we all probably had experienced crushes and heartbreak. So sure. you felt like, um, you felt like their stories were soon to be yours. You know, you were mm-hmm. right. excited to get to that point where you would be experiencing that. In a way, being a teenager is sort of like, I mean, being a teenager makes you so impressionable on like all sorts of fronts. But I think in terms of timing, like it just, yeah, it, that that aspirational quality like is so huge with this show. And, you know, I feel like if I was like, you know, 10 years older, I'd be sort of embarrassed to be like, well, am I a Carrie or am I a Samantha, you know, but like not when I'm, not when I was, you know, 18, like, or 16. Sure, sure. Um, It's so funny that you talk about Sex and the City and Friends, I mean, rightly so, because they were on at the same time, but like Friends to me is not a New York show at all. Friends could be set literally anywhere. Like there's Mm -hmm. just like nothing about the show or any of the characters to me that like mm-hmm. feels specific. Scream New York. Yeah. Um, and I never, I didn't really watch friends. I just like, I just, I was aware of it's, it, but it just wasn't something that was a thing for me when it was on air. You know, what's funny. There's two things that, that, I, that I want to bring up. The, the first is I caught, I don't know, 15 minutes of a Seinfeld episode the other day. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that feels like a New York show, mm-hmm. even though it was shot here yeah. And Friends doesn't, and I, I don't even mean the the neurotic Jewish sensibility of Seinfeld, which obviously is akin to New York to some degree or another. But even just 
the aesthetics yes. of it feel more it's like New York. On the streets, the exhaust, the people, yeah. the the colors, the colors, yeah. the size of the apartment. Even you yeah. know, they're, I mean, bigger than like that, they're clothes today, too. Like, like there's there's like a lived in component to yeah. Seinfeld that that Friends, quite frankly, didn't strive for. And this isn't a knock on Friends. I think they were they were going for something different. Sure. But to your point, it doesn't feel like a New York show. The other thing that I wanted to. Um, I just watched the first episode of the Scorsese Fran Lebowitz um, Netflix thing. Yeah. Which is fantastic. The first episode, yeah. yeah. It, it's fantastic. But the, the one of the things that, I mean, she says there's so many gems that she says just in the first episode. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I loved was when she said that someone came to her and was like, I really want to move to New York, but I just can't afford it. And she's like, none of us can afford no it. One no one can afford it. But somehow everybody lives in New York and they figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that there's, that's part of that wish fulfillment thing. That's part of that like fantasy of the person that can hack it, the person that can like make it work. And it's also like a willful like it's willful um, irresponsibility. You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> sure. you know, like yeah. you sure. know, you could save money, more money elsewhere. You know, you could double your square footage, like elsewhere. But it's like, nope. Like we're doing this, you know. Mm-hmm. And and while there is like a sort of like slight myth making of it being all worth it, because I too lived in in New York for for uh, a short period of time when I was younger, like it's true. <laughs> like, like it, 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 it's not like, um, like there's a part of it is, is something that you do buy into, but it's also like, it's also true. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's also something, I mean, and, and specifically to sex in the city, you know, rewatching the show, First of all, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I don't watch the second season that much. Um, generally speaking, when I rewatch the show, it's from three on mm-hmm. um, because I think that the first season is very strange. There's a lot of talking to the camera. There's a lot of yeah. like weirdness going on. The first season. I feel like, like it's fun to watch to get us to the second <laughs> I feel like the first season is fun to watch to because of that contrast and to like yes. see where we've how far we've come how far we've yeah. come oh yeah. season two feels like it's getting its sea legs though charming slightly yeah. you know there is something charming about it and yeah but, but season two is this sort of like transitional uh period which it does, i mean it doesn't feel like it doesn't know what it is you know it's it's not right. that it's just that it, it probably doesn't really hit its stride until yeah, I mean, I, I and and you know, I've I've said this on previous episodes, so you know, forgive our listeners for me repeating myself, but I do think that you know, there's the Darren Star, Michael Patrick King component of this show of 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 two very different voices, okay. both very talented. This episode. Yes. Okay. Yes. We'll get oh, we'll, oh, we'll, we will get there. There's a lot of uh, see the the thing is, and 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 I don't mean to sound like I'm denigrating Darren Star because I do think that Darren Star, first of all, is is enormously successful. So you know, give him props for that. But also, he's making fun shows that people really love. I think mm-hmm. people love Younger. People really love Emily in Paris. Mm-hmm. I watched the whole thing. Whether or not I liked it or not is you know debatable. But I watched the whole thing. Um, he has a very specific voice that borders on too broad for me personally. And we certainly feel that in this episode at times. Um, So it's once Michael Patrick King completely takes the reins of the show, which is essentially during season three, when the depth of the show starts to show and you start to really feel these characters starting to show just more range, more complexity than they did in the earlier seasons. And I would say this season, and, and I've been loving 
doing these deep dives each week because I think there's a lot more to this show than people give credence to. I think that it's a very easy show to um, dismiss based on its aesthetics, based like on most like things that were wildly successful. It's very <laughs> easy to be like, huh, it's not that great. The show is great. Like the yeah. show yeah. was yeah. doing, you know, a lot. And it's always like that thing where it's like that testament to progress or the way we've moved forward when certain things just feel like mm-hmm. dated. But that's what happens when you're sort of on the front edge of things and in the moment, I think. Um, it's not a perfect show. It's definitely coming from a very specific point of view. And yes. there are not, you know, um, but it's it's real good. I think it's also, I just did uh, a full rewatch of Girls just recently. That's the other um, show. That people just love to be like, well, you know, it's like, fuck off. Like, Especially in like, the beginning, because yeah. I, I, I was tweeting about it a little bit and some people, you know, some some people responded. And I'm not going to sit here and say that both of these shows don't suffer from significant diversity issues. Of course. I mean, both it's of these shows live in. <laughs> yeah. What was that well, anything up until a couple years ago did. It's truly. Yeah, sure, but but it's it's really crystallized in Sex and the City, yeah, in a way that that is that yeah. that dates it, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but watching Girls, you know, which was some might argue overrated in its first season, and then woefully underrated for basically the entire remainder of the series, mm-hmm. and I think that yeah. there's two things that are very similar about these shows, which is that men didn't get it or men felt threatened by it or men felt like there was some component of feeling like the shows were attacking them in some way, mm-hmm. which I don't think they were. I think they were being pretty honest if I'm being truthful about, I mean, I, I think that Adam's character on girls is one of the best male characters on, on television. Yeah. I, I mean, not just the performance, but hundred percent dated that character. That guy. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And that's the, and that's the beauty of sex in the city and the serial, like the serial dating thing and the, you know, anecdotal stories of each episode, mm-hmm. because we've all dated that guy, you know, quote unquote, we've all dated that guy or an element <laughs> of that guy or some guy we've dated. Or tried or, to. Or, sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and you know the male characters that return uh and we get for arcs for character arcs you know i think that we all that's sort of the beauty to me and the brilliance of the show is that we've it becomes flipped you know our lives as we evolved and grew up with the show you then ha- take pause sometimes in when you're in a relationship or getting out of a relationship and saying, God, this is like, you know, not to be basic, but this sort of is like a Mr. Big moment or this is, yeah. you know, yeah. like, yeah. am I dating Aiden and I want to be with big or blah, 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 you know, like, and that, that's what makes a really successful show when you, you feel on the, on like in the minutia, you can be like, Oh my God, that totally happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you get older and you go back and you rewatch the episodes and they all feel so, um, you know, you're like, God, I remember when that happened. Oh, like, oh man. And you know, the, 
I guess I have my series arc characters too. And like sure. you, the, the brilliance of those characters and those male characters, because they're in large part, you know, um, they, those, those are, those were, those do feel like real men to me. I mean, you know, the things that they're struggling with, particularly big, you know, I, he, I mean, somebody could write, a, I'm sure people have, but a thesis on uh, Mr. Big and who that character. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sure there are many, many, many pieces about it. I'll, I'll say one thing though, that I wanted to piggyback on what you were saying there about um, using television shows as litmus tests, as mirrors to what's going on in your own life. First of all, I don't think that's basic. I think that that's what a television show should do. I mean, good TV makes you, reevaluate the type of person that you are or see yourself on screen, which is why diversity is so unbelievably important, mm-hmm. which is you need to be able to, to see yourself there and be able to kind of, you know, take a second and be able to reevaluate what's going on in your life. And, you know, it's funny you say, you know, as you watch these shows, rewatch these shows through different lens at a different point in your life, they change the way that you perceive them. You know, I used to think that Big was kind of like cool and fun, I guess. And he still has those moments. But now watching him, just like, this guy fucking sucks, man. Like, he's just, he's, he really is just not, he's just selfish. And I think that, um, I think, I don't know, I, I, I understand the idea and it's been thrown at me on many occasions of like, TV isn't reality, but it is a mirror of reality. And I think that there is some legitimacy to, to you know, using that as a, as a, funny. You know, a way to see your own. It's funny you say that because uh, I was watching this episode last night and a couple leading up to it um, with my partner. And he was saying, God, I used to think big what, when I watched the show when I was younger, I looked up to big. I thought he was dope, but maybe it's just because he was a rich guy. But it sucks. <laughs> and in particular, and I think that's what makes this episode one of the more profound ones because a pivotal thing happens oh, yeah. between Carrie and Big that really, you know, is the pattern of Carrie and Big. Um, but that scene, or, you know, the few of them, when, you know, he says, and I'm sure that we'll recap. Oh, we will, yeah. But, you know, those fights felt real to me. And him showing up at 2.30 in the morning because he knew he was being a fucking asshole um, felt real. You know, that's... Um, and those those fights, they felt very... That felt like you, you were in the writer's room with them. You know? Totally. Well, and speaking sure. to what you were saying before, um, Phil, about like the show itself hitting its stride, I had listened to the episode with Amy B. Harris, and I feel like the stuff that she was saying about, you know, the writers and whatnot bringing their own stories to the writer's room, there had to have been like, just like a, you know, it, you know, um, exponential sort of like, they're, the positive feedback that the show was garnering, you know, must have galvanized them, you know, a bit and, and helped them sort of find that stride. And I do think that's like where so much of the great stuff of the show is because the specificity is mm-hmm. is everything. Um, I I think the show also does a tremendous job of, I mean, it, it, it's it was mocked for its puns. Um, and for its, it's, uh, it's, it's perhaps its lack of, of subtlety at times, but, you know, 
I I really appreciated the the idea anyway, even if they hammer it a little hard and we'll talk about it. But the idea of Carrie realizing that she's in an abusive relationship, that she's you know that she's she's taking an emotional beating from this person, mm-hmm. um, and continues to go back for more. And w- what pleasure does she get from the pain of this relationship? Um, I think is 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 very insightful and smart. And and you know I I don't know I I think that. Um, they they perhaps go a little far with the S and M stuff. Yes. I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give a. It's a it's a you know it's a really insightful and smart read of like relationships and the human condition and sex. It's a woefully like it, like it has it's like that's not what S and M is. <laughs> Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to give a, a brief synopsis for those who haven't seen the episode. Uh, Carrie is horrified when Big casually tells her he's moving to Paris for seven months. Miranda dates a man who only has sex in places where he might get caught. Charlotte meets Buster, a high-end st- uh, shoe salesman with a serious foot fetish. And Samantha in- introduces the girls to a hot new S&M restaurant. Samantha, by the way, has no storyline in this episode. No. Which is very strange. I, right. I was looking at my notes and I was yeah, like, Because uh, <laughs> takes the, the fourth. That's right. He does. But we did, Which is great. But it is interesting. And I noted that, that <laughs> the episode devoted to, to, to kink. Mm-hmm. Samantha's not in. Samantha's not in it, which is strange. Okay. And I think it comes right after, right before, because like you, Alex, I watched a few of them like mm-hmm. around the episode that mm-hmm. Samantha, like her old flame, the Warren Beatty. Look That's the previous one. Yeah. 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 And that is like, she's totally trying to like do some mm-hmm. sort of power dynamic with him and, mm-hmm. you know, fails. But um, yeah, that was, I, 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 I noted that as well in the previous episode, which is that they kind of leave money on the table, if you ask me, which is like you have this seismic relationship from Samantha, a person who we believe to be quite sort of unattached and unencumbered with emotions. And it's it's done in a hammy sort of way. The actor they bring on kind of sucks, quite frankly. Like, he's not really very good. And, and they just kind of, like, ditch it. And then they don't even give her a follow-up. Like, you would think that the next episode would at least sort of dig a little bit into that and in fact they just give her no storyline at all which is strange is like where i you know at at it's like in a very basic level like snm is about sort of power dynamics like this episode is actually about kink right or it's supposed yes supposed to be about like all these different and it's all Mm -hmm. rolled into one um uh and and it's not uh it's not really about I guess, with the exception of Carrie and Big, it's not really about power at all. Right. Yeah. Uh, so this this episode aired on uh, August 22nd, 1999. It was written by Ali uh, Levi and Michael Patrick King and directed by Allison Anders. Uh, this episode landed at number 85 on the Vulture ranking. Uh, basically, they didn't, they didn't really have very much to say that it was particularly good about it. But... Um, the episode is named after the restaurant, which Haley was kind enough to uh, pronounce earlier, which translates to the exquisite pain, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, the theme of the episode very much is about fetishes, letting your free flag fly, which which I very much appreciate. I like that the show often, I don't want to say too often, but like goes to that well a little bit. There's a Freak Show episode earlier in this season as well, literally called Freak Show, the one with the where she dates the guy who has a, a Tweety Bird tattoo, and she freaks out and thinks that he's it's 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 a good episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess there, there is a an overarching kind of all encompassing idea to this show, which is 
um, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Be who you are. Sex is funny. Sex is weird. Sex is, is complicated, but there is nothing wrong with it. And I think that um, taking those taboos and, and kind of breaking those ceilings really can be seen. Um, I, I did an episode with Emily Nussbaum at the beginning of the, of the series where we talked about her New Yorker article and she talked about how that first scene or one of those first scenes of the four of them in the back of the cab in season one when they're talking about anal sex mm -hmm. and she was just like it was just kind of like a, a kind of blow your mind moment that that a show was willing to go to that place it was willing to talk about these things have fun with these things um i think is incredibly important and i think this episode runs with that even if it does open with this <laughs> weird restaurant s&m restaurant i mean i don't know about you but like i don't really like my food mixed with well, my sex so i'm just not sure why that happened what you need to know about an s&m restaurant is that it's a um medieval banquet hall uh and there's a lot of bread the first thing is a pile of bread which we all know does not mix with tight leather like Place. Yeah, just yeah, like, it just makes me feel bloated. There's like big hunks of meat, and it's um yeah, it's got like a real fiefdom, <laughs> like Game of Thronesy kind yeah, of vibe to yeah. it. Quite frankly, yeah. yeah, Carrie has a great line where she says, "This is what happens when your mayor shuts down all the sex shops. It shows up in your cuisine, which is a great <laughs> shot at Giuliani." Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> um, you also have a great moment where Samantha tells Charlotte that the invi uh, invitation said kinky, and Charlotte's like, I kinked my hair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a fun way to open the episode, and I'm thankful that they kind of drop the sort of absurdity of S&M. Like, we don't see any more, like, leather-clad ball gags and such. It's just sort of like, you know, they move past that. Um, so Carrie goes to Biggs and shows up with a riding crop and a top hat. Wait, wait, can we back up? Yeah, please, second? please, please, please. Because yeah. first, it, in the scene at the <laughs> table where Samantha's sitting, over her shoulder the entire time is a woman who's fully naked, waist up, and she's just looking straight at the camera. She's just in the car background and she doesn't even move. Maybe it's a mannequin, but I don't think so. Um, that's amazing. That's the kind of boundary pushing you can expect from HBO. <laughs> and I did just that Sex in the City is back, you guys. I just got a little, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's back. I'm, I mean, okay, so this is actually a good, a good Sorry. time to ask this question. Yeah. No, please, I don't give a shit. Um, I feel like, uh, Doing the show, a limited, it seems, a limited sort of however many episodes, without Samantha, because it's mm -hmm. pretty clear that that uh, Kim Kuchali is not joining the crew again, yeah. um, feels unfortunate. Mm -hmm. That being said, uh, I would much rather them find a better way to resolve this than with the horrible Sex and the City 2, which was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. So... I guess it's kind of we'll just have to see how it shakes out. I mean, the room has started apparently. It's starting in a couple in like a couple weeks. No, I think uh, this week. Sorry, I think it starts yeah. this week. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of the old writers are back, which mm -hmm. is great. That's amazing. Um, you know, and and I'm I'm excited to see what this show looks like in 2021. Yeah. I think that they've got a, a steep hill to climb a little bit, oh, but I'm yeah. curious. And the big question is like. 
what's it going to be about? Be about like, yeah, I know. It's going to be our Harry <laughs> and Big still together. <laughs> our, uh, is everyone still really rich? Like, what? Where do you go from there? I mean. I don't know. I'm sort of like, let know. it die. I mean, it was mm-hmm. so good. And without Samantha, nor should, I mean, thank God Samantha is not coming back or Kim control. Cause like, let the poor woman just have, she was a masterpiece. Let let her her collect those masterpiece. Residuals and yeah. Yeah. And just let her, let it lie. As that, you know, but the woman, my God, she's 65 years old. Like, don't do her wrong like that. Don't make her come back and be Samantha Jones now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was Dana Schwartz on a previous episode pitched an idea of there's a version of Sex in the City where they're in like their 70s or something. And like Samantha has died and it's like perhaps some of their husbands have passed on. And it's more about like what is sex and singledom look like in your 70s or 80s. I actually would be game to see that show. Like that's an interesting – that 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 feels like it's a new way in. My fear – is what does this what does this look like? I, I don't know what this looks like. It, it's it's a it's a very strange thing. Um, but who am I kidding? I'm going to watch. I'm it. also curious. I am especially in light of watching this episode, which is all about fetish and kink, where you know, like in any sex yes. episode, things happen that you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that would never happen now. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. Like Samantha with these people as they go into her club and, you know, the underwear club, the underwear only club that Stanford ends up at and a guy grabs his underwear and you're just like, oh, my God, this is just, um, these are lawsuits all over the place. There's a real lack of consent in this episode. A real, except... Charlotte with the foot fetish guy. So he Charlotte. got her consent. He did oh, get yeah. her consent. He's a gentleman. gentleman. Uh, sure. Um. Um, uh, but she was yeah. she was a willing uh, partner. Participant, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think... But, yeah, sorry. Please. Like, what do... How are they going to... How are they going to... To pushed the boundaries, which Sex in the City did in its time, which as you reference, like the anal the anal sex conversation in the back of the cab. Yep. Like that yep. was um that was taboo then. And now like now that there have been so many things also that followed in Sex in the City's footsteps that expunged upon those types of, you know, sexual discovery. Uh yep where do they go now and still maintain that kind of, um, you know, uh, wow factor Mm -hmm. uh, with the show. And, you know, and that was maybe part of the reason why the movies weren't as good as the show because they had lost that a little bit, um, you know, as they got older. Yeah. I mean, I'll say, I'll say this. I, I I think that the, the series itself kind of ended as good as you could expect it to. You know, they, 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 mm-hmm. there, was a, a, there was a bit of an ellipse at the end. If you want to believe that her and Big made it work, you can have that fantasy. If you want to think that they still struggled and that they might not have made it, you have that too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it 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 made it abundantly clear that the friendships were perhaps the most important thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they they really did a good job, and I and I think that 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 last string of episodes, that last six episodes, really plays like a movie. Um, if you kind of put them all together in a way that's really effective. Uh, I don't I don't want to even really acknowledge the films if I'm being completely honest, and I don't I don't say that in a sort of to, to negate them or to denigrate them necessarily. They're just not my thing. They feel like the show dialed up to like a hundred and I, and it's just not, um, it's just not what I go to the show for. Uh, I like the intimacy of the show. I like the small 22 minute components of it. I think that they do a really good job at that. The question that I'm asking myself, the reason why I'm hoping they're going back to the well and that it isn't just a cash grab and that they aren't just trying to make HBO max happen. I just hope that, it's because a they have something to say b they want to get back to the things that i was just talking about in terms of trying to get back to that sort of intimate storytelling that character-based storytelling Mm -hmm. um let's hope that that's what it is in terms of what the impetus of the show is and like what they're actually what stories they have to tell your guess is as good as mine but listen i've got faith in these writers they did it for a long time and i'm excited to see what they continue to do with it so for what that's worth. Um, but in terms of is, this episode, is, yeah. right? Sorry. Isn't uh, Michael Patrick King going to direct also, which thank God. Great. 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 Yeah, I, I, here's the, I, I, there's a part of me that's very sort of, I am a very, I'm kind of split about the films in a lot of ways because I understand the blank checkness of them. Like if I'm Michael Patrick King and Warner brothers says, do whatever you want. I might go to Abu Dhabi. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like if, if, if there's, if there are no sort of like, so on some level, I don't necessarily condemn the bigness and the kind of, you know, uh, audacity, quite frankly, of the movies. I just, it's just not what I go to the show for. So Mm -hmm. that's just kind of, anyway, this episode, however, we are back to Carrie shows up at Big's apartment with a riding crop and a top hat and in classic big style, doesn't laugh because he's a dick and he likes to, <laughs> for whatever reason, humiliate her whenever he gets the opportunity to do so. really goes a long way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> some notes yeah. here. Miss, uh, please, please. Big shirt. Dear Lord. Ugh, awful. And then, so she's got the riding crop and the hat and they start to make out against the wall and he takes off her one of her necklaces and throws it. Yeah, what's that about? I don't know. Like, I, I noticed that, too, because I thought he was going to undo the... Yeah, she's yeah. wearing, like, a halter. some sort of a top. Yeah, yeah halter top. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. But then he takes off her necklace. Like, right. one of the necklaces. Okay, fine. Yeah. Um, so then we find out that Stanford is chatting online in sort of sex chat rooms. Um, maybe, uh, maybe it was kind of a de-shackling move, because it was, like, oh. a So yeah. maybe um, a shackle release. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. maybe sure maybe? Yeah. sorry um i'll say this if i if if we made a drinking game in this episode with carrie whenever she says the word tied ties tying anything we would be hammered after about five minutes of this episode <laughs> it's they really really hit that hard <laughs> um but uh so then charlotte goes to a shoe store you know, back to sanford Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm trying to work through the storyline. I know. But okay. he's he's doing some online dating. Once yeah. again, uh, gay men uh, pave the way. Yes. For us all. Like, 
you know, it's like this is this is his sort of like kink corner, right? Like talking yep. to dudes online. It's like couldn't be more normal now. I you know, I first of all, hundred hundred ten percent agree with you. What I thought was interesting though is I was trying to rewind in my brain to like what the internet mm-hmm. kind of was in ninety-nine oh, yeah. and what this interaction would even fully be. Cause like obviously there was there wasn't any video. So it's really just sort of and I don't even think it's is it aim at that point? Yes. Do we have uh, that? It, would have been aim. Uh, it looked the interface. It had a little bit of that, right? Yeah, okay. So I guess that's sort of what what it's it's kind of just like, yeah, it's Creepy sex chat. chatting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um he's he's going by the name uh Rick Nine Plus. Mm-hmm. So he has <laughs> He has that. Um, so then uh, in the Charlotte storyline, she is going to a shoe store, mm-hmm. feeding her fetish or her addiction, depending on how you want to look at it. Although, great sequence. With her great sequence. It's sort of retro, great music. I love Do we feel like Charlotte is a shoe character, though? No. Like, I, right? Because I feel like. She likes nice things. I guess it just carries all about the shoes, right. if I'm not mistaken. And I felt a little bit like this was, forgive the expression, but shoehorning in yeah. this idea totally. of She's Charlotte being a, a shoe Waterford crystal kind of, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. plate setting. I feel like sure. I feel like when she and um, what's his butt were getting married, Buster. Like, oh, uh, Trey, Trey, Trey. Yeah. It was like all yeah. about the the play settings right and the registry yeah. and stuff like that's her that's her dish but this is like them kind of really introducing the shoe like shoes being such a thing and guys i adjusted for inflation these shoes cost over <laughs> 620 <laughs> and this is like pre I want to say this is like pre Jimmy Choo Manolo, you know, like taking over the world and sort of saying that like anyone in their right mind could spend so much money on shoes. Um, at first, I was really worried that this guy just was an employee, and I was like, he's gonna fire. Like, what's he yeah, I was gonna say. Um, I kept thinking, like, place. I'm like Buster, what are you doing, man? Yeah, You're gonna get yeah. fired. Like yeah. this, it's it's she crazy. By seven, and it's like it's not like she's an eleven, and you know you're you got to move those. Right. <laughs> you're on madison avenue like the next in 10 minutes those are going to sell mm-hmm. so can i ask I, I have to ask a question and i actually haven't asked this question before and i don't really know how to word it so forgive me but so shoes and women mm-hmm. are a thing that i don't completely understand and i say that with obviously with all due respect is it the same thing as like Boys in technology, for lack of a better way of putting it, like is it is it some is there some boys in shoes? <laughs> so boys and boys and sneakers is what you're saying. I'm the boy, yeah. So Erica Gillian and and uh, and his sneakers is what you're saying. I think that Sex in the City was the thing that that introduced that idea. Introduced the idea that women were obsessed with shoes and willing to spend a year's salary on shoes over the course of a couple years. I, I mean. It does that. I don't know, but I, I think there's women, also this thing that like shoes, like pending some like really unfortunate circumstances, like shoes always fit. You know, right? Okay. You know, like that was in um, that was in uh, a film, the one 
in, in her shoes. In her shoes. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, and then I think she that, finally lost 15 pounds and found real happiness. Exactly. Yeah. Um, God, what we do to women. Um, but I think we all learned, I think like some sort of hegemonic, you know, absorption from Washington mm-hmm. City that it was like, oh, shoes, shoes equals femininity, shoes equals, you know, maturity and beauty. And I guess that's what I need to do. I need like, to it's like you. a cross section of ind- like independence and like frivolity, you know, like mm-hmm. it's like I got money to burn or I don't. And but I'm doing it. Yeah, like I remember that episode when she realizes that yes, she yes. spent like four hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, I will. I'm literally going to be the woman that lives in her shoes. Yes. <laughs> that was a great episode, and I remember when that aired for the first time, and I was like, "Thank you for acknowledging <laughs> the absurdity of this of this yeah. uh, shoe obsession." And the you know, it's not realistic. You're a writer. You're a columnist. You're not a stockbroker. I, I think there's. I, I first of all, you're completely right in the um, in the comparison to this. I don't want to say it's a fad, but the sneaker phenomenon that is happening that has been happening for the past couple of years. Um, you know, it's the shocking, shocking price tags on on the on the things that people are willing to buy and put on their feet, which is completely fair. I, I think that the, I guess my other question to you would be. You know, you're kind of you guys are both sort of hitting on this idea of how sort of seismic the fashion was in this show, right? Like Patricia Fields and and you know the the, the outfits that Carrie wears, as impractical as they might very well be, um, were huge. I mean, it was a it was really sort of seismic change. Do you think that it sounds like you're saying that a lot of shoe brands and a lot of big sort of shoe designers kind of came through this show it feels like right absolutely yes okay. yeah like 100 percent. i think it it told like it, it a huge swath of the popu- sure. population like would not have known what um, what manolo blahnik was like right why would you yeah it was a i mean they should all still be writing pat field sure. right? <laughs> absolutely. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. i mean so iconic and like what was her um what was her store? It was just her name, right? On on Bowery? Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, I remember going there. I lived in New York in 2007. So, like, the show was long over. But, like, mm-hmm. you still, like, went. Because <laughs> she was so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we... we it's, and and yeah, Patricia Fields and the whole, you know, the whole costume design of mm-hmm. the show turned Sarah Jessica Parker into a fashion icon. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. she wasn't a fashion icon before this show, but still to this day, she still gets that Met Gala invite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, she does. Um, so, okay. So at this point, Buster is willing to give Charlotte 50% off of the shoes mm-hmm. um, because her feet, are cute. I, I don't. I don't really understand the logic, but mm-hmm. that's what it is. Miranda meets Jack, played by Will Arnett. Bad Arnett. <laughs> um, I mean, at a bookstore. Pre, 
pre-stardom Arnett. Pre-everything. I mean, this is this is before he's on Sopranos, where yeah. he has a short arc on that. Mm-hmm. So obviously pre-arrested development. I mean, he's he's just he's just a guy. Right. Yeah. Like um, no, yeah, I mean. So she meets him at a bookstore. They talk about some fucking obscure autobiographies and biographies and very specific (laughs) historical titles. Very specific. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and I want to. I'm just going to hone in on this storyline for a second, um, specifically. So she meets Jack. They go on a date. He takes her to see where Mark Twain lived and wrote Huck Finn and then proceeds to have sex with her in the alleyway in front of this house, yes. um, which is insane on, on many levels. But I mean, it's 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 I think insane might be strong. It's strange. Maybe. Sure. Um, yes. Sure. <laughs> uh, they, and, and it becomes clear that. um He's interested in having sex in places where they might get caught. Mm-hmm. He then proceeds to perform oral sex on her in a cab, which seems unbelievable and impractical, and but perhaps really disrespectful. Anatomy. Like what? Like how is that supposed to work? Like I don't. Yeah, so. and also Miranda, pipe down. You went. <laughs> Well, they're talking about, he's like, I'm going to go down on you. I'm like, the cab driver is too happy. Yeah. And then I'll, he's like, like, what happened? I know this is a TV show, but it is a visual medium. Like, you know, like. uh, Also, like, we've all been in a New York cab. They're fucking gross. Like, the idea of, like, doing this in a cab is just, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you it's not COVID. Um so this so this storyline, um <clears throat> so then Miranda and 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 Charlotte and Carrie go for a walk. Miranda talks about how she's never had sex with this guy in a bedroom. Mm-hmm. This storyline, forgive the climaxes with uh with with Miranda, you can't help it. I can't help it. Uh, Miranda having sex with Jack in his bedroom. Mm-hmm. Miranda hears something and says, "I think someone's coming." He says, "Oh, it's my parents. They're staying with me." He then proceeds to climax while his parents are watching He's them, making eye contact with them, making eye contact with them, <laughs> giving an insane face. Yeah, and Miranda is essentially being violated at this point right like there's there's no other word for this other than mm-hmm. you do not have consent to do what you're doing to this woman right. under these circumstances yeah. i mean wasn't her parents thank god uh like she can walk <laughs> away from that situation I, yeah. you know uh, but uh physically maybe not emotionally yeah, but, sure. yeah. but you know what though that like okay so like relatively that last scene notwithstanding like the nonchalance that miranda was talking about all the different places that Yes, uh, yes. They had sex. And like Miranda's yeah. like this, you know, the serious one. She's the lawyer. She's like yep. the she's not Samantha, right? She's probably mm-hmm. with Charlotte, sort of, sort of on the other side of the spectrum in some ways. Yep. And I think that there is something that's just really nice about that destigmatization. <laughs> like yes, yes. you know, like I just um that's it just it just is something that happens in stride, whether that's totally realistic, you know. Right. But um, it also brings up in that scene, we also have Charlotte saying Carrie sees her shoes and is like, where the fuck did you get those? And Charlotte's like, oh, I let this guy touch my feet and he yeah. gave them to me. Yeah. 
And then she's like, then she they knew she knew what she had to do. She had to give him back. Why? Yeah, why? why? Like and, and okay, if he was if he was an employee and gonna like lose his job, or mm-hmm. like if she felt like there was something sort of like I don't know, untort or like un uh non consensual. I, I was sort of like, don't shame this guy. He gave you a, you know, you still paid at, at least three hundred dollars for them in today's money. Like not the second pair. So the second pair were free. That's right. Second pair were totally free. He just kind of held her feet. Mm-hmm. So then what happens is she goes back to Buster. She's like, I can't take these shoes. He looks at the bottom, says, these are worn. I can't take them back. She's like, well, I can't pay for them. He's like, okay, you can keep them as long as you let me put on a bunch of other shoes on your feet. Yeah. And we then proceed to have a whole sequence of Buster basically ejaculating while touching her feet. Mm-hmm in a series of very strange faces on both parts. Although, I mean, Kristen Davis does a great job of, of just being sort of not understanding like- what's transpired. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Um, and then on the, on the, just to, to yeah. yes, sir. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Pardon? Sorry? I like how he always says thank you. In a very, yeah, no, he's a perfect gentleman about it. And look, at first, you know, I'm like, yeah, it, 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 it kind of works for me in that, like, Charlotte realizing that she's a part of some person's fetish, her knee jerk reaction is to kind of be judgmental and to feel guilty about it. And oh, I have to give these shoes back. I can't be a part of this. And then she, like, kind of comes around, like, for the right reasons. Who knows? But she's not, like, judging the guy. Yeah. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, I kind of was totally okay with that. I didn't feel like she was violated in any way that, she, no. you know, I was, to- it felt weird. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, it, it yeah. was a, it was a fetish exchange mm-hmm. and, um, you know, mm-hmm. and he always said what he was going to do and she agreed and the terms were made very clear before the transaction. Yeah. yeah. I put in my notes. This guy seems really nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, sure. Buster seems, uh, this guy seems nice. Sure. I I, I think that um, one of the things that I've enjoyed watching over the course of this season is the evolution, like Charlotte's the one that's always shocked, right? She's always the one who sort of like is the, is the newbie in the situation. And it's a testament to the way that they write her and the way that Kristen Davis performs her that she never feels broad or like a caricature she never feels like she's you know truly absurd mm-hmm. um but there is there's an enjoyment that you get out of putting charlotte in the most the craziest situations that you can or the most sort of absurd situations that you can so this was an example of that obviously 
Um, and then on the on the stamp on the Stanford uh, storyline, he um, he essentially goes to this club to sort of get over his um, fears of you know inadequacy, the way that he the way that he looks, and the way that he you know is going to meet one of these online guys in person, or that they'll be there. Big, big tool for you, I believe. <laughs> um, so he goes to this underwear club uh, where they're blasting Fatboy Slim's uh, funk show brother, um, just to really bring you back to 1999. Uh, and he meets a nice guy, and who nothing comes of it, but he meets somebody nice. So yeah, that's and first it. of all, Stanford's supposed to be like schlubby, but like for his body type, I think he looks great. Uh, I also appreciate yep. that his underwear is from Paris, from when he went to Paris. There's a nice Paris yep. line mm-hmm. through right. this episode. And I thought it was really cute. I don't know. I thought the money, I, I did the, too. I thought the money in the sock was really cute. Yes. And mm-hmm. in terms of like scandalous sort of themes in terms of only being able to wear underwear, like this is nothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. 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 There may be a lot, a lot more like, uh, <clears throat> explicit consent today but uh this is you know i feel like pretty and that and that was one of those types of things that that was the in the city part you know Mm -hmm. yes yes, yes. god bless new york really used to be fun right and you know it's not any it's not that anymore and what a shame like that was Mm -hmm. fun um, so the last storyline, and it's the media storyline, which I'd like to dive into, is obviously the Carrie Big storyline. Carrie goes to Big's place. He's packing to go to Paris. Um, he tells her that uh, there's a chance he might have to move to Paris for work for seven months or a year. Carrie, understandably, is shocked by this information. I want to just just highlight something that I really loved about this scene, uh, which was the blocking which mm-hmm. is that Carrie is standing on his bed yeah. and, and just to, and she's barely his height yeah. standing on his bed. So and she, she literally like leans over and grabs his shoulder and says, what? Sorry. What? Like, she's like just trying desperately to like wrap her head around what's going on. And it's a great yeah. visual kind of component to, to the scene. Um, of course, big is like fucking cavalier about this information. Cause he's an asshole. Like I, I just, I, I don't, him not even talking to her about this, how he could not see that she would be upset by this is all the reasons why these two take like seven yeah. seasons to actually make it's, it work. It is. It's like so gaslighty in that oh, it yeah. just like stirs up like, Oh, am I, am I like the, the stuff that Carrie doesn't explicitly say, but is so well inferred in this episode and, and you kind of build it up through what they've been through before this episode is like, am I crazy? Am I just like, not, am I like too much of a woman? Like, am I being like a crazy woman about this? And like, I should just be a cool girl and like be able to like go with it. And like, Uh and like, he's so, it's like, it's not even that he's mean about it. He's so nonchalant as to make you feel like you are going up like insane because he didn't even mm-hmm. like mention it. Um, it's it's a lot of that. Like, why are you acting like this? Like, right. like right. What, what could you, why are you so upset by this? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be so, but I will, this isn't about you. Which right. Such a, mm. And the yeah. but and and then the next scene, she's at brunch with the girls, and is so distraught and really upset, and you know it bangs the table down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 
gotten myself back into this again. And like, that felt very real to me, you know, totally, totally. I think um, we've all been there before where you really have over the course of dating, uh, real, um, you know, impasses with certain people and behavioral patterns and you keep coming back for more and you think it's going to be different this time. And obviously that is the big thing with big, uh, where, you know, and like maybe he changes at the end, but still a little bit of a question mark. And, um, and that, that is the real, that's the heart of relationships, you know, like Mm -hmm. this person hurts me, but why do I stay? And finally you meet someone who doesn't hurt you and you end up hurting them. You know, it's like, yeah. And there's this, there's this element of like, you have Charlotte, of course, being very Charlotte about him being like, what's the big deal? You could just go to Paris. You have a boyfriend in Paris. Like, like it's not right. deeply impractical and, and, and right. speaks volumes about what's wrong with this relationship. She does then get drunk with Stanford and calls big mm-hmm. and has sort of this drunken conversation where she confronts him about not talking to her about the situation, which unfortunately only feeds Big's sort of preconceived notions about all of this to begin with. I mean, she was not even that really sloppy. I agree. I agree. And like 5.30 in the morning, like, you know, I don't know. Whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, And you just got there. You're on New York time still. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, She was made a pretty, pretty cogent argument, but her guilt about being sort of like hysterical and having done this thing that like she shouldn't what it that girlfriends don't do Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. if they want to like keep their man like she kind of does this like about face like I can totally I can deal with this like we can make this work it's like and and sort of thankfully like like big proves to her right off the bat that like like uh that's you know she's barking up the wrong tree because I mean, it's so essentially what happens is she has a conversation with with uh, Charlotte and Miranda where she says, like, you know, uh, maybe I can make this work. Maybe you're right, Charlotte. Maybe we can do long distance, blah, blah, blah. She goes to Big's house that night wearing a fucking beret mm-hmm. and some French fries from McDonald's and some and burgers from McDonald's. One apologizing. Yeah. Which is fucking crazy. So typical of women. Feels pretty relatable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I was a bitch. It's like, oh my god. Oh, you gave him that. You gave him the high ground again. Like, it's it's and it's it's unfortunate that he's demanding it. Essentially, otherwise, she feels as though you know this conversation, this this relationship is gonna is gonna go south. He then proceeds to tell her. She's like, maybe I could do you know le sex in the city, and I could come to Paris, and I could make this work. And he goes, well, I mean, if you want to do that, you should do that. But like do that for you. Don't do that for me. Like essentially mm-hmm. saying like, you know, right. don't come there for me. And she says, come there um, expecting anything. Like, why would I go to Paris for anyone yeah. or for yeah. anything other than you? Which is, first of all, it's like, well, have you been to Paris? <laughs> uh, you should go. Uh, and I guess maybe speaking to what you were saying before, Phil, about how like the f- mm. this as like the second season, I think does not mm-hmm. get the rewatch that yeah. others do. Like they really, they were calling back to a lot of stuff um, yeah. in the yep. in the final season, and yeah. really well done. 
Yeah. It's it's I I was I was thinking the exact same thing when she shows up with the beret and the whatever and thinking about, you know, her going to Paris with Petrovsky at the end of the series and big chasing her to Paris. There is a very nice symmetry to that. There's also something quite honestly about you know, you guys mentioned a little bit about how like perfect all the characters are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean in the sense of this sort of this fantasy, this New York fantasy. I think that there's a real brokenness of vulnerability and a messiness to carry oh, yeah. in this season in particular that she starts to, you know, she, she certainly gets her quote unquote, gets her shit together as things progress, but seeing her in his kitchen, mm-hmm. she throws the burgers against his TV. You've got like fucking big Mac sauce everywhere. Yeah. And she's like holding on to the, to, to sort of the Island in his kitchen, just being like, how did this, how did I get here again? Like, how did I allow myself to do this again, so it's 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 unbelievably human, and 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 I talked about this with with uh, Emily Nussbaum, but like there's an anti-hero quality to Carrie Bradshaw, mm-hmm. you know this this the the rom-com anti-hero of a person who is a little bit selfish, a little bit broken, isn't always the best friend to to other people, and I think all of that makes her a real human being. And, and I, and that's, that's why, I mean, that's why I love her as a character. And I'm sort of curious what you guys think about how all that feeds into it. Oh, absolutely. Like her, her relationship stuff and like the sort of men that she finds herself drawn to, you know, in terms of the ones that really kind of like hold on over the course of the series, I think feels incredibly relatable. And it's like, yeah, you can be really sort of broken and messy uh, and complicated and super, super aspirational, like when you're yeah. child like yep. that and when yep. you have apps like that. Um, yeah. that's, <laughs> you're like, yeah, I'm just like Carrie because I'm so messy and... She does love to show that midriff when she can. I mean, who wouldn't under the circumstances? Yeah, I would be flashing that all day. Um, uh, yeah, please. Think, um, you know... One thing I was thinking a lot about as I was watching this episode and the episodes leading up to it was, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that they don't really ever elaborate much on with the exception of with Samantha is that is their age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think in like a couple episodes before this, Miranda mentions that she's 33. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I think that that does now that I am, you know, now that today I am the age, you know, a little older, but you know, it <laughs> that they would be then and having grown up with the show and kind of grown up sexually and and romantically with the show as a reference, it is interesting now to rewatch this stuff and think like, yeah. Carrie at this point is in her early to mid Mm thirties. She is in love with a very successful guy and he lives a life that she probably wants to have. And she, and he has kind of made it seem like she's there, that they're, that they are there. And it does feel like a lot is kind of writing on this and she has put everything into it. And, you know, the, um, just the heartbreak to that. And Haley, like you say, like, sure, of course you can be aspirational despite your 
quote unquote brokenness. Mm -hmm. But I think that is what we all do with relationships, certainly serious ones. Uh, You know, there has to be an element of aspiration, whether that is, you know, you aspire to have a really like a sweeping romance or like with Samantha, just like really great sexual chemistry or like Charlotte, you know, like the, you know, the the social implication and the, and, you know, financial implication of your relationship. I mean, I think all of the women sort of hit so many different parts of what all kind of goes through a woman's mind while they're dating. And I presume a male's mind, um, (laughs) but you know, I, there are the neuroses, Carrie's neuroses come out so much in this, in this episode that, and you really want to unpack so much of that, you know, you really God to, and this is, I think this is why I loved the Carrie diaries because you want to know where the fuck does Carrie come from? What was her relationship with her father? Like, my God, so much. And, um, uh, you know, I feel like we could all learn a lot from, you know, her unpacking that for us. But I think that's sort of on us. We are left then, you know, we watch, we watch this relationship unfold and, you know, devolve and re-evolve constantly. And you hate to see it happen, but then you love to see it happen. And, and then you apply it to your own life. And really it, you know, and that again, to take it back to why I find the show so brilliant is that it all does feel so applicable. What is it, you know, okay, I don't know why Carrie made this decision because I don't know what her father fucking did to her her (laughs) when she was younger, but I know the answers to that in my own life. And, you know, I'm going to sit here and maybe unload it for a little bit. Uh, Yeah. Well, I think there's like two things that like really, that really struck me too about the Carrie big dynamic is, and that I thought were really smart. And again, you know, for a show that lacks subtlety sometimes when it kind of, when it comes to some of like some of the smaller details of like big emotional ideas, like I think they do a really good job, whether intentionally or not. Like when she leaves her, when she calls big drunk, like one of the last things she says is like, you know, I have a job too. Right. And there is this thing where like, and I think it's true. And I think to a degree, it's still true that like for men and, and especially like straight hetero cisgender men, like, you know, you derive so much of your identity from your work, or at least you're told that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think for women, we're like, we're told that we derive so much of our identity or have been told we derive so much of our identity from our relationship status. Right. And so there's like this really great knocking of heads where it's like, just because I think about our relationship all the time, doesn't mean I don't have a life. Like, doesn't mean it's, it's something that I'm weighing in addition to all of the other things that I weigh in my life, whether it's professional or my friends or my family or whatever. And I thought that that was, um, I don't know, that just rang really true to me. That just felt very, very valid. Yeah. To, to, to piggyback on that for a second, you know, that's one of the things that comes to a head in the kitchen, Mm -hmm. which is that big literally says like, this is about my work. This isn't about, and she's like, 
but I don't understand why that why that's mutually exclusive. Like right. why why can't those two things speak to each other? You know, and, and I will say as someone who you know in my last relationship I got into a big argument with with the person I was seeing at the time um, because she thought that I was choosing to stay in a writer's room until eleven o'clock at night, and I'm like, right. I'm right. not choosing to. This is my job, and it's it's unfortunate that that it is what it is. Um, that's not what Big is doing here. What Big is doing here is excluding her, removing her from sort of creating two islands and feeling as though that's okay. Um, and it's not. And, you know, you even see it in that scene where she's like, I want, I will bring my work to Paris so that I can do my job and be with you. And to him, his response to that being, of course, like, well, I mean, don't do it for me. Well, I'm reasonable. I care about you and your job. Uh, don't, you yeah. know. And Only yeah. if that's what you want. And oh yeah. using, uh, the blocking also of that episode, I know you brought yes. up the first one where, where she's like standing on the bed and like, uh, but here literally there is a physical kitchen island between the two. Between them. them. Yeah. Uh, and I think what she says, you know, when she says, you know, whatever you think, we are close. We have gotten closer. Yeah. And you just, you're so afraid of it. You need to put an ocean between us. Yeah. Uh, is, um, you know, I think, you know, it kind of, it, it, watching that scene in preparation for then talking about the series, you know, it's really, I was like, I wonder how we're going to talk about this because it's so hard to talk about Sex and the City without unpacking your own shit. And that, I think, that scene and the things that can come up in that scene are, you know, for all of the things that Sex and the City can really trivialize, mm-hmm. that actually detrivializes a lot of it and really calls people out on their shit. And it was really hard to watch. You know, when he says, you know, I'm going for work, it's not, this isn't about us, it's about work. I, you know, I watched the episode twice and at the same time I'm like, ugh. Oh, fuck you. Fuck you. I literally go like, it's not about work. It's about you. It's about you, Big. <laughs> it's also, and then on top of all of it, you know, the 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 the, the real end of this storyline is mm-hmm. he shows up at her apartment. You know, Carrie does her classic. I'm sure she said this video more times than I can remember. Of we had we were out of things to say, yeah. and they just had to have sex. Right. So you know, they have sex. She wakes up. She's sitting in a chair by the window smoking. He's he's laying in her bed. And she basically just says, like, go to fucking Paris. Like, I'm done. Like, this mm-hmm. is, the, you know, I, I can't be what what you want me to be. Um, and th- there is a part of me that never felt like Big was ever fully invested in this thing. I mean, you have an episode earlier in the season where, you know, he shows up at a, at a drinks with the uh, – it's the one where – where Miranda runs out into the rain to catch Steve and big shows up and it's like the big, like romance can work. And then by the end of the season, you're just like romance is dead. None of this is working. No one's no one. It's so like, I, I appreciate that the episode ends with her basically saying like, I have to save myself. Like this mm-hmm. is, this is, right. this is not, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. Right. She was uh, yeah. to the chair. Oh, she let yeah, in her VO. She says, "Tied to a chair, untying herself from big." It's yeah. it's whatever. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those episodes that I honestly think talking about this with you, both of you, you know, watching it, I was like, this episode's like the big Carrie stuff is good. Mm -hmm. The other stuff feels pretty disposable. Mm -hmm. Um, but now talking about the big Carrie stuff, it's one of the better episodes of the season when it comes to their storyline. Yeah. I mean, right. It ends up being important in like the, in the, for yes. the rest of the show, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's important because, you know, spoiler for those who haven't seen the show, you know, big goes to Paris, big meets, what the hell is her name? Natasha. I can't remember his Natasha. Of course. It sounds like a villain, uh, Natasha who he, you know, ultimately marries and blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a great uh, season finale. Yeah. This tees all that up. You get to have Carrie paired off with a couple guys, John Bon Jovi being one of them in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I see your Natasha. I raise you, John Bon Jovi. John Bon Jovi. Yeah. A baby faced John Bon Jovi. May yeah. I add? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, this show is spinning a lot of plates. And as someone obviously who's been um, in writer's rooms, the tonal shifts that this show tries to achieve within, you know, 22, 25, 28 minutes or whatever it is each week is incredibly impressive. And people, again, don't give the show enough credit for being able to, within the span of this episode, have, you know, Charlotte with a foot fetishist and, you know, Miranda getting railed by Will Arnett and then somehow mixing that into um, this Carrie Big stuff. And it all pretty much works. It might not be the best episode of Sex and the City, but I still think it does work quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no. <laughs> this, I, 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 our Patreon viewers are going to love the perspective that we're getting of uh, Alexandra Amin's apartment uh, being carried like a toddler through her apartment. <laughs> it's about to die. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just to wrap up, uh, I'm sorry. It's like podcast uh, cribs. It's <laughs> podcast cribs. Yeah. Uh, so I actually have version of Carrie Bradshaw's apartment. You know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I have I have two questions for you guys as we wrap up the episode. One of them I'm going to spring on you because it just kind of occurred to me, and I'm curious as to the answer. The second one I told you at the top of the uh, at the top of the show. Uh, the the first question is. Do you have a favorite episode? Do you or 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 uh, or a thing that sort of doesn't need to be an episode? Maybe it's an arc. Maybe it's sort of you know a thing that happened on the show. But like, is there something on a sort of grander level that you really love about the show? You know, um, uh, I'll tell you mine. How about I tell you mine, and I can help maybe you guys. Uh, yeah, tell me yeah. Okay. the thing that really yeah. I was going to say is that every time I go back and rewatch Sex and the City, I'm like, God, that episode was really good too. Yeah. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you forget yeah. and then you go back and you're like, oh, God, I remember that episode. That was so good. That was so good. It's really fun to be along for the ride. Yeah. Yes. Um, my favorite episode is in season four. Uh, my motherboard myself. It's the episode where Miranda's mother dies, uh, written by Rotenberg and Zeritsky, who fingers crossed, maybe we'll have on this podcast. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, season four is my favorite season of the show. It feels like it's the show at the peak of its powers, the show when it's when it it it's just absolutely nailing what it wants to be doing. You get Miranda having Steve's baby. You have like you you have, you know, Samantha in a real relationship. You've got the second iteration of Trey. It's all just good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But that particular episode for me is a perfect example of the tonal stuff that I was talking about where you have Miranda's mother dying, but you also have Samantha having lost her orgasm and is unsure of like, it's, it's part of, you know, obviously her fear of mortality, her fear of all the various things that are going on in the world. Um, And then on top of it, you have, you have Carrie's computer crashing and Aiden not knowing how to reboot it because he's a, he's a PC person and she's a Mac person and he works with wood, but like her Carrie taking her computer to the, uh, the Mac store and him saying, you're not compatible between her and Aiden. It's just, it's just really great stuff. I just love all of that. But do you guys have something that you really love? That is a great, that is a great episode. And is that the one that Carrie and Miranda have like a moment um, or is it Samantha and Miranda? They like have an emotional. Yes, Samantha cries that she she releases and cries and says, "I'm sorry" because she can't. She had never been able to tell Miranda that sooner right. in the episode. Yeah, that was and Miranda cool. crying single as she walks up the up the aisle mm-hmm. and then carry. Yeah, it's it's and then the guys show up. Like it's just it's a perfect episode of the yeah. show. I think. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, there. Um, I don't know if. I, I wish I could get back to you on that um, because it's fine. Back, don't worry. But there are some, there are of course, you know, defining scenes that I sure. have taken with me and I referenced yeah. the time, but there is an episode where Carrie, Aiden, Carrie, uh, like, buys the apartment next door or something. And oh, yeah. Aiden, mm-hmm. Aiden redoes her floors. Aiden He's trying to blast floor. blast through the wall. He's trying to bring the two exactly. apartments together. Yeah. And um, she kind of like, they partition off with a curtain, her side, her, the bedroom area. And they, you know, I just remember her saying, uh, you know, I need my space. Like, just give me my yeah. space. And by the end of the episode, he, you know, he kind of just like gives her his space, gives her her space. And then she takes the step forward and is like, what you doing out there? You know, like pokes her head. He, he puts a little curtain yeah. so that she has, and then, and then she, when having the space, doesn't want the space anymore, right. which is. Mm-hmm. And the, mm-hmm. you know, the ups and downs of, you know, I think that the, the Carrie Aiden relationship over the course of the series you know, I, I think was a very, was one of those mature relationships that, you know, you see play out in your own life and with many different, you know, little things that happen here and there. Uh, but I, I do know, I, I do remember from time to time, you know, over the course of dating certain people thinking back to that scene of just like, God, if they would just give me my space, (laughs) <laughs> I would step forward and be like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. we'll hey. close that gap. Yeah. Um, what about you, Haley? Did you have something? No, I just want you to push me away just a little. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, Do you have something, Haley? Oh man, favorite episode. 
Mm, I feel like I don't. The thing that is that sticks out in my brain because I haven't rewatched the whole series in some sure. time. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there is some really fun Miranda stuff when she gets pregnant. Um, yes. And yes. like a few, mo- a couple of moments that just stick out to me. One on the very comedic side with Miranda, and then one on a really heartbreaking side is mm-hmm. one is when they go to Atlantic City like to get like get their groove back mm-hmm. uh, and Miranda can finally like fit into jeans yep. that mm-hmm. whatever and like some mm-hmm. asshole, jeans yeah yep. and some yep. asshole calls her fat and I yep. just remember like uh Miranda like remembers like yeah wait I did just have a baby someone's like fuck you she just had a baby and then someone's like what's your excuse triplets I'll never forget that that was that was good stuff Yeah. God. And, and then on the emotional end, I I think this must have been towards the finale, but the scene where uh, Steve's mom, who has Alzheimer's, gets lost and Miranda ends up giving her a sponge yeah. bath. Like, yep. it's just, yeah. it's not necessarily the thing that epitomizes the show. And it is like towards the end of the show. And I don't mm-hmm. want to like, I don't want to denigrate or play down how much I love like the fun and early sex in the city stuff. But like, Mm -hmm. that's just something I will never like, it's just something that I totally uh, like it's, it's such a strong memory. Um, so yeah. emotional. I want to, I want to highlight, sorry, oh, sorry go ahead. you know, I, cause I, I also went back and listened to the episode that you recorded with Amy Harris and, you know, just her talking about how most of the writer's room remained the same. And you realize like they were writing that show for like seven years and that they grew up so much that you see that evolution in, you know, to think back to that first season where things were, you're like, Ooh, God, this is not watchable really. Cause none of it, it's cartoonish. And then, you know, to think that you end on a note like Haley, that scene you Uh referenced with Steve's mother and the, you know, I mean, I remember crying when I watched that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, this is like it really the show really evolved and it was such a, you know, a mirror into our own individual evolution. I also, you know, I, I want to highlight one other thing because I think it's worth talking about, which is, you know, the, the show is about taboos. The show is about sort of, you know, um, dealing with prickly issues from time to time. And, and and they have a tremendous episode that deals with abortion where, you know, Miranda gets pregnant. Uh, they have a really funny scene. It's one of my favorite scenes, which is they go to this pizza place. It's just Miranda and Carrie. And, um, and uh, Miranda asks... Carrie, if she's ever had an abortion, and she says, I've, I had one. And she explains the situation, and she says that she met this guy uh, at the saloon or something, like some like <laughs> shitty TGIF Fridays place or something like that. Mm-hmm. And Miranda, I mean, Cynthia Nixon's delivery is just is so pitch perfect on so many levels throughout the whole show. But the way she says no judgment yeah. uh, is fantastic. Yeah. And then Carrie's like, well, maybe you should have it. And she's like, you know what? You're right. I'm having Steve's baby. Pizza for everybody. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just like the, the, the way that they're able to deal with thorny issues in ways very adroitly, very mm-hmm. funny, um, but heartfelt and smart. Again, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but like this is the stuff that this show, I feel like, 
doesn't get the credit that it deserves. It's it feels like a show that 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 people think is just a jewel encrusted whatever, mm-hmm. and I just don't think that that's a fair uh, you know fair reading of the show. But mm-hmm. all that being said, last sorry yeah go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I think it did get you know it it got so much sort of props in its time that mm-hmm. I think there is like this internalized kind of like reboundy backlashy yeah. thing and and the stuff that you hold on to is the stuff that also kind of got bigger and in in some ways better but like way over the top by the end which was yeah. like which was the fashion and the visuals and the yeah. like you know aspirational it, part of it it kind which, of yeah it started to drink its own Kool-Aid a little bit sure. um which which is understandable but um so my last question to you guys, I asked this before we got on mic, but do you have a favorite character? Do you have a character that, um, you know, that, that, uh, speaks to you, you know, it doesn't need to be your, your, you know, spirit animal, but you know, yeah. something that, yeah. you know, and I, I think most people would always say like, you know, to all four combined, they are the perfect. Sure, sure, sure. sure. <laughs> uh, my favorite character is the city, which would be the uh, <laughs> character. Uh, um, heard of it, New York City. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, I personally don't think the show is as <laughs> digestible and as fun. Uh, as sex in the city should be fun um, without Samantha. And I go back and you watch Kim Cattrall and you're like, God damn, she was doing it. She showed up every week and put on a fucking show. And she really did. I just, you know, give her a lifetime achievement award for that. You know, she just, I just love that character so much, even though she is, probably the least relatable for most of the show because um, (laughs) there are tidbits here and there where like the real Samantha comes out. And I think the stuff that, that, you know, the, the friendship between Carrie and Samantha is the most, I think the most uh, developed and really in depth and you really see, you know, but she's so, absurd and ridiculous when those moments of actual relatable humanity happen or she's heartbroken or she's hurt, you know, you, you really feel that because the, Mm -hmm. so much um, distinction between those two parts to her. Uh, But I, I I would also, I I also think it's worth saying too, and this is not to take anything away from uh, Kristen Davis or or Cynthia Nixon, because I adore Charlotte and, Mm -hmm. and Miranda, but there's an iconography, there's an iconic component to Carrie and Samantha mm-hmm. that really sort of, and part of that has to do with the fact that they seem larger than life. Mm-hmm. They seem sort of like some next level thing. But that elevation is what you're talking about, I think, where like Kim Cattrall is taking a character that in the wrong hands would have played as goofy or clownish or mm-hmm. over the top. And she 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 gives it three dimensions in a way that that, you know, I agree. She's fantastic. I mean, the idea that her character against all odds really does not (laughs) go into the realm of caricature. Like totally. Yeah. It's insane. And there, and there are just so many like wonderful moments. I'm reminded of the, uh, Pearl thong where she had to take the stairs. I mean, her face is unbelievable. Incredible. (laughs) And she's just 
she's <laughs> she's so consistent and she's so confident yeah. in her performance. Yeah. Um, and we it, needed where we needed Kim Cattrall in Fifty Shades of Grey, you know. <laughs> Yeah. But instead we got a different we got a different Kim. You got a Kim Basinger in that That's one. Right. So you know. you know, it's like yeah. they they really missed so many marks, but that was definitely that was something they could have So Haley, do you have a do you have a character that jumps out at you? you know, I well I wholeheartedly agree with um with sure. Alex about uh about Samantha. I guess um and not only because I played her in a uh sorority <laughs> rush sketch, uh but uh, I am what? a bit of a Miranda. Um, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, and like but but also, you know, Cynthia Nixon's such a talented actress and yeah. Yeah. and the way that that character developed over yeah. the course of the show. Totally. Like, yeah, totally. And not and obviously there were huge seismic like life things that happened, mm-hmm. but um, I mean in terms of the way she approaches relationships, like you, I, I find Carrie the most relatable, and I think that's I think that's by design. I think yeah. there's just sure. so much like sure. there's so much fun neurotic gray area with her that I think is just inherently like relatable. Um, but but I do just have so much affection for Miranda. She was done so dirty in some of the early episodes in terms of the, some of the fashion choices and the hair and like, we get it. She's serious, you know, like, Like, but even when she's not serious, I feel like her clothes are like, I mean, I even, I sent you guys a screenshot, uh, texted it to you. And I was just like, what is what's Miranda wearing? Like, what mm-hmm. what what are you doing? Like, not I that. feel like she's wearing something neon in like half the episode. It's still not the worst thing she wears in this episode. The skirt that she wears on the yeah. day with Will Arnett. I'm like, I literally did a deep dive on Cynthia Nixon to find out when she was pregnant with her first child because I was like, are they trying to hide something? Because they're not doing a very good job. Yeah. Like, what is going on yeah. here? Um, she was not pregnant. It was just a. Bad <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, seeing her, like, that was one way that as the show got even more and more glamorous, like, she benefited, like, the most in a way. Um, and that was really fun to see. Well, I think that, you know, there's an episode in season two where, um, it's when her and Steve are on the rocks, uh, sort of in the middle of the season. Um, and it's, it's about her just not taking him seriously. He's a bartender. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't feel like it's a real thing, uh, but he really likes her. And obviously as, as the season, as the series progresses, they obviously end up together. But um, the, the struggle she has, unlike the other three women, it seems of finding independence and finding love and making sure that she's not sort of siloing herself off from people. And that slow, but surely progress of being able to be herself and be with someone who loves her for who she is I mean, is is what we all strive for, and and they do a really beautiful job of of delineating that through her character. Yeah, and she like went through some legitimately painful shit on like the friendship side of things when she became a mom. You know, yeah. just like, yes. um, like yeah. has is mm-hmm. is is a part of my social world, just like over. And she is also the she's really the only one who we track in terms of a career and like career yes. achievements, yes. you know, Carrie, obviously her job is a fake job, you know, I mean, it's not so much fake and that yeah. doesn't exist, but it's not like, you know, 
it's not a real. It's not paying for their shoes in that apartment. Right. That's for sure. Um, and, <laughs> and the men she dates never reference the column that she writes about them in. Right. <laughs> it doesn't come up. And only, know, only with, only with Petrovsky. Yeah. Right. And you know, and, and Samantha and Chris and, uh, and Charlotte are, they have these sort of like, I'm a rich girl jobs, you know, but with like being a publicist, a very, a very successful publicist and, you know, and then being a gallerist that, you know, when a successful gallerist, when you're 30, you know, it's like, okay, so we have to assume that these women are rich and, you know, their, their careers, their professions don't really matter in the, Mm -hmm. you know, but Miranda you know, as you're watching it as a, you know, as a working woman, Miranda really is the only person who you can actually relate to on that Correct. level of, you know, on the career level, which is the majority of what you spend yeah. your life doing when you're a young woman. Uh, and, um, you know, there's that episode in this season where she, you know, after Steve you know, and after she and Steve break up and she goes out to dinner with, you know, a partner in her company that had just gotten with the hair plugs. Oh yeah. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, I know people personal, but like what, you know, what's going on personal in your life? And she's like, Oh, I don't know. Do you really want to know? And then it leads to discussion about freezing of eggs and this asshole. I has- mean. Oh my God. The, he did not know the future because if he was like, <laughs> right, yeah. buy your stock now yeah. in like you know uh, dry ice, egg because, freezing, yeah, <laughs> self righteousness of that guy. And but yep. the thing I love about Miranda is that she is. They put her into into situations like that, and she's always got the right comeback. You know, where mm-hmm. it's like, ah, I wish I had Miranda with me so many yeah. times when things like that has happened because she always has such a killer comeback yeah. that really puts people in their shoes. Yeah. And- I don't, I don't need to be lectured by a man who's a crop rotating his forehead. I think is what she said. <laughs> yeah. 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 God. Yeah. But uh, I, 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 will, I will also say, too, on the, on the Miranda side, you know, and this is a testament to the show. Um, she's the last one you expect to see pregnant. She's the last one you expect to go through motherhood first. I mean, Charlotte's the one that, that obviously wants it much more, uh, which, again, like not giving the thing to the person that wants the thing and then giving the thing. Like, it's just finding the complexities, finding the messiness, making sure that you're always finding good story that that explores and shows sides of these characters um in just really smart ways you know it's it's i i love the show um and i'm i'm so thankful that you guys came on to talk about it with me thanks for having us always happy to talk about sex in the city mm-hmm. um well you're both gonna come you're both gonna come back for something else, i'm gonna so. keep watching i'm gonna keep, yeah it's been a nice like oh, it's been <laughs> It has. Been- it's it's a perfect uh, pandemic watch. That is for sure. Um, that and so was Felicity. Quite frankly, that was a really nice, comforting watch too. It, it definitely took me out of uh, uh, what was going on at the time. But um, thank you both for for. What was that? <laughs> Never seen an episode of Felicity. You would love Felicity. I. I really do think you would. I don't think I- they would love it. 
Haley would get it and would like it, but I don't think she would love it. I think that there's a little too much emoness to it. And I think Haley's a little bit well, more brilliant. I think she'd be a little bit more like, oh, shut up. <laughs> Here's what, let me, let me rephrase what I'm saying. Love it is a strong word. Here's what I think. I think you would enjoy the pilot directed by Matt Reeves, written and, and directed by Matt Reeves and JJ. Um, and I think you would see a lot more things in it today. I mean, part of what I loved about doing this rewatch, not to sit here and you know talk about Felicity, but just very quickly, I'll just say this. Um, I watched it right around the time that Normal People was dropping. Mm. And to see a lot of Felicity in Normal People, to see a lot of those pregnant pauses, to see mm. a lot of that just, you know, talking very earnestly about your emotions. There's a lot of, of felicity in a lot of premium streaming and cable content, um, which is, I think, why it stood the test of time a little bit better. But I would just say that the pilot's very good and the pilot's worth rewatching, and that's all I'll say about that. Hi. But um, I, I, I very much appreciate you both coming on. And I'm obviously, you guys are going to come back for something else. There's many other shows for us to talk about uh, and other movies to talk about. But... Um, Thank you for coming on, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. One last thing. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, Speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989. Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Also, please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's. Thank you to Ernie and Will for producing our episode, Sullivan for our social media, Yonkatas for our artwork and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it's. You on the podcast like it's 1999. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.